It's a great time to get a great deal on a new car when you get approved for an auto loan from PenFed. Our powered by True Car rates are as low as 1.39% APR on new vehicles. Finance for a longer term to lower your monthly bill, plus take up to 60 days to schedule your first payment. Join PenFed, and together, we'll keep you moving forward. Anyone can apply. Visit PenFed.org auto or call 1-800-247-5626. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hello, everybody. Uh, I would like to take this time uh, to welcome you all back. Welcome you all back to another exciting edition, another exciting episode of, of Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people where we talk about issues in the blindness community. Tonight, we have someone on our program um, that I've been talking to for a couple of weeks. I've been, I've been really excited about interviewing uh, this person. Um, and I will start out by saying, luckily in my life and in a philosophical sense, luckily I have never had to meet, <laughs> I have never had to meet one of these people and you'll see why. I have never had to meet a, correction, a, a correctional officer in a prison before. So I am very glad that we are joined by one, by a retired uh, CEO this evening who happens to be blind. His name is Ken Smith. Uh, we want to take this time to say welcome. And you may go ahead. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, I'm glad that you never met a CEO in the uh, professional capacity because it's a terrible place to be. I, uh, I always joke that I was the first member of my family to serve time in jail and get paid for it because I come from a long line of ne'er-do-wells. Uh, so just some background, I uh, was born fully sighted. Uh, I had LASIK surgery in order to go into law enforcement and um, did so, joined the sheriff's department, the local jail, and served 11 years as a corrections officer before losing my vision uh, and medically retiring. I uh, suffer from something called post-LASIK ectasia, which is a thinning of the corneal walls due to LASIK surgery. So I, I'm one of the, I don't know, one in 10 million that have a side effect. And I'm one in a billion that goes blind from it. So I got lucky. Uh, a little background of where I did work. I worked in a local jail. So I didn't technically work in a prison. I worked in a facility that housed federal state and local inmates in New York state. Uh, we house everyone from the uh, local drunk to MS-13 gang members, uh, serial killers, multiple murderers, uh, rapists, arsonists, anybody you could think of, we house them. And uh, it was a dangerous job. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what you want to uh, me to cover, but uh, if you have any questions, feel free to break in. I know that uh, a lot of people have misconceptions about corrections officers, and uh, most of the things you see on TV, they have a grain of truth, but it's not generally exaggerated as much as the TV shows make out. So let uh, me let me just let me just come in right there and and say and say yeah that everything you've said so far um is is perfect and really really fascinating. Um actually I was not going to start off with the with some of these social misconceptions but now that now that you brought it up um I think that I I agree and I think that there probably there are a lot of misconceptions about law enforcement and as you said about COs corrections officers okay so what what misconceptions um do you feel most most people have and then uh what is of course what is the truth what is the reality well I think if you watch TV uh or movies there's there's two you know there's there's two really main archetypes of the CO the brutal, uh, you know, the brutal guard who beats up people and is really racist. And then like the kindly guy 
who uh like the Tom Hanks character in Green Mile. Uh by the way, for the record, I lo- I just I absolutely love the Green Mile. Uh it's be- it is I think that is I mean, it's by far some of the best acting ever in, in movie history, without any doubt. That's, that's some amazing acting. I just, just for the acting quality of that film, I'll watch that movie any day, uh, l- let alone having nothing to do with the storyline. It's some incredibly talented actors. Um, but yeah, of course, that's overly dramatic. But then again, in The Green Mile, they were acting out and depicting the way that our society and country was in the 1930s. So probably, who knows? I don't know. Maybe some guards back in the 1930s did act like that. But that's kind of beside, in a sense, beside the point because, oh, because we're here today. But um, yeah. Um, and what are some, what are some other, uh, what are some other misconceptions that, that you hear about or that you see or have seen from society um, in both your, your work and, and, you know, in, in the jail and then outside of the jail when you came home. Sure. Sure. Uh, uh, by the way, Green Mile, one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Uh, and Tom Hanks. Um, uh-huh. Maybe that was how it was back in the day. Uh, he would get eaten alive today in corrections. Oh, sure. Sure, of course. But, uh, yeah, if I, if I had my druthers, I would have liked to work the Green Mile. Just the way they had, the, they had it set up, that would have been – all right by me and a lot less dangerous than where I worked. Hmm. But, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that, uh, that you see on, on the television and the news media is basically there's the stereotype that all guards are white redneck, uneducated racists. And uh, to one form or another, you see the brutal guard, uh, the stereotype of the brutal guard, you know, abusing inmates and lording his limited power over them. And that whole rigmarole. And and I can't speak for every corrections officer or every facility, obviously, because my career spanned one, one particular jail, but uh, that is absolutely not tolerated. It's not tolerated by the administration. It's not tolerated by, uh, the the guards themselves, and frankly, if you acted in that manner, it wouldn't be tolerated by the inmates either. And that's a big deal. You wouldn't think that being tolerated by the inmates would be a big deal, but the way you live and and survive in a correctional facility is by being firm, fair, and consistent. You treat everybody the same, from the pedophile to to the multiple murderer. You're fair with everyone, and that earns you a bit of respect. And the, uh, the stereotype of the brutal guard that just goes around knocking people in the heads with clubs or, uh, you know, letting someone be beat up for fun, all those things. Uh, I, I can't say they've never happened because they have. But I will say that in a modern correctional facility that's run well, those things rarely happen. Uh, one of the things I wanted to address was, I'm sure you've heard of the, the thin blue line. Are you familiar with that concept? Uh, I, I, I mean, I can imagine what it is. I'm not pre- exactly familiar. For our listeners at home, why don't you please, t- please explain it or, or, or give a good definition for listeners sure. at home? There, there is a myth out there of the thin blue line and that and blue is generally the color of a uniform of police and corrections and that kind of thing. Right. And it, what it is, is that brother officers band together despite uh, what's right or what's legal and that you don't snitch and you don't tell on another officer. And the, if you see someone doing something wrong, you turn your back and you walk away. And there's been this myth that, you know, the cops are going to cover for each other. The COs are going to cover for each other. It's the, uh, it's portrayed over and over again in movies and film and books. And again, in the past, maybe that was the case, but that is not how the average officer works. And I'll, I can tell you a story that illustrates this uh, quite well. 
when I was first hired on, uh, 22 years old, didn't know my elbow from my, uh, my, well, I can't say that, uh, didn't know much. <laughs> and my training officer was walking me around and he was a, a very large gentleman, very, very strong, very, very calm until he didn't need, until he needed to not be calm. And then he was dangerous. Uh, his presence would end most fights because no one wanted to tangle with him. Cause if you put hands on you, you ended up at the nurse's office. He was a, he was a moose. He didn't ever start any problems and he was uh, a calming influence. And I, I got lucky to have him as a training officer. One day we were walking through the, uh, the female block and an inmate pulled him aside and whispered in his ear. And he turned to me and he said, Smith, you need to leave. And I said, uh, Mr. Stewart, what are you doing? I have to learn. Let me help you. And I wanted to be part of it because every new experience I was learning, you do this for that, or, or you, you know, here's how you handle this request, or this is the situation. This is what you do. And I was very upset. And he looked at me and he said, go stand in the hall. And I was like, yes, sir. And I went and stood in the hall. Five minutes later, he came out of there looking very pale and very shook up. And I'd not seen that before. And the stories I'd heard uh, said he doesn't get shook up. And he got on the radio and he called the sergeant down. And within a, within a, a two-day period, another officer was arrested for rape. And as soon as my training officer heard that allegation from a female officer about another officer he immediately reported it wow my i my was on mute there um and i'm kind of glad i was uh i just gasped um wow uh that it was the worst let me let me tell you this aaron it was yeah. the worst the worst six months of my career yeah because we had an, we had an officer that was using his authority to coerce sex from from female inmates, and uh, luckily for me, his name was Smith also, so that was super cool. Um, but my training officer who'd been there for numerous years heard that heard that allegation from an inmate and immediately turned him in. And you know, sure enough, they did an investigation and he was found guilty, sent to prison, and. Uh, I believe he's out now, but he's a registered sex offender. And this theory of there's a thin blue line does not exist. Yeah. Nobody covered for him. Yeah, there's there. Yeah, obviously not. There's certain behavior that that we as a that we as a society um, cannot uh, cannot tolerate and that that behavior cannot be tolerated uh anywhere let alone a corrections a correctional uh, in, uh, institution um that's uh, that's that that is, that is a seriously dis that is a disturbed a a very troubled individual then i suppose mm -hmm. uh, 100% and like most predators very very intelligent and very good at what he did hmm. and, you know, rightfully so he went to prison Oh yeah, without doubt, rightfully so. How how now? How long in the end? Um, how long uh, did he end up serving in in the prison himself? I I believe he he served five years, which hmm. is not enough time in my book. Right. But uh, I'm not the judge, and I, I I don't know the particulars of the case other than it happened. Right. Uh, I mean, there's there's that's the best example I can I can think of. Hmm. A lot of the, a lot of people think, oh, the brutal COs, they don't, they, they let this kind of stuff happen. Absolutely not. You know, one of my best friends worked there. And when this happened, we, we were just shocked. We're like, I can't believe this happened here. And, uh, I, I, I was a training officer for several years and I used to tell the inmates, if I come around the corner, I used to tell the officers I trained, if I come around the corner and you're doing something against the rules, illegal or immoral, you have three seconds to turn yourself in before I'm on the radio narking you out. Because I'm not going to prison for you, I'm not losing my job for you, and I'm not being a part of anything hinky like that. And that's how we ran. 
uh, I don't know. Are, are you familiar with the show uh, 90 Days In? Ninety days, ninety days in, or sixty days. In. Oh yeah, yes, yes, exactly, yes, exactly. I, and okay. and 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 listener, you at home. I I was mentioning when I was basically talking to Ken before he came to our show several weeks ago. I was mentioning this show, um, but you were and I. I asked a question, something like basically, what is your opinion of that particular show? And I recall that you said that the that your uh, well, actually, go go ahead if you want to talk about sixty sixty days in. Go ahead and tell tell our listener what what your philosophy or theory is about that. Yes. Well, I, I I've watched a couple of episodes uh, just because it caught my eye, and it's, it's about my former life. And the more I watched, the more disgusted I became of how some of those jails are run. And I'll tell you. Uh, I saw one episode where an inmate got stabbed several times and the officer stood around watching. Yeah. yeah I, I, rem I remember that one. He didn't lift a finger. And until much later, much later, they responded. I don't believe the gentleman died, but he was, he was gravely injured. And that in my facility would have meant, if not criminal charges for neglect, it would have been a firing because your duty is to the safety of that inmate and you do what you can to prevent harm. And if it's, if someone's got a weapon and you don't have a weapon, obviously you're not going to run in and, and get killed, but you would respond. You would, you would do whatever you could and not just watch it happen. It, it was incredible that they, that, that happened. Um, I was shocked. Uh, and further that show had was, was, uh, there was a female guard in that show that was antagonizing inmates for fun. Yeah. She was, she I was know, walking. I know exactly. I know exactly what episode, I know exactly what person that is and exactly who it is. And I was watching it, um, with, with my parents trying, trying to, I, I was trying, I, I, I would really like to know if, if I was a judge or if I was judging that, that CEO, I would want to ask that person this one question. Why would you, in that type of work environment, when you're around a lot of really dangerous people, perhaps, why would you want to spend your time antagonizing them and bullying them just to make them angry for fun? What is, what is wrong with you? What what type of person are you? That that would be the question I would ask. I well, can't, one, one, yeah. That that lady, and I'll I use the term lady loosely. I, I can tell you what why she was so brave. She worked the night shift and she never saw any inmate face to face. And we call those cell bar warriors warriors because they were awful tough when the other guy was locked in. Because they ran their mouths, they caused all these problems. Seven o'clock, they went home. The next guy working the day shift had to deal with all the problems. And uh, if that officer did that in my facility, again, reprimanded, and if it happened again, fired. Not only would the, the management be upset, as an officer, if I came on after that and every inmate is flooding their toilets, throwing stuff, starting fires. My first question is, what did you do last night? Right. And if I find out that you spent all night keeping them awake and, and taunting them, if it was a man, me and that guy would have a problem in the locker room. Because you're putting my life in danger to be a jerk. And there's no reason for that. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't comprehend it. I mean, it's more than a jerk. You have to be... I, I don't even know. I, I, I don't even know what type of, I mean, there are some really strange people in our society, uh, but I don't even know what type of person uh, behaves. I can't, I can't profile that type of person. It's about the strangest behavior I've seen, the strangest interaction I've seen. 
It's like, why would you want to? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to? And why would you want to piss? Why would you want to to annoy? Excuse me. Why would you want to annoy and frustrate the 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 inmates that much? I mean, you know, some of those people were, you know, serious criminals who were in prison for, as you said, you know, rapes, murders. You know, a, a lot were just in for the lower level uh, misdemeanors, but they had some murderers uh, on that show. Why would you want to make them angry? Why would you want to give them a reason to to not to not want to behave? I, 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 I couldn't if I couldn't explain it. So then then again, I, I don't know. Um, so when a when a inmate or, or in your case, back to what you were saying, when the when the guy, the, the man who was working at the Smith guy who was um, found guilty of rape in your facility, uh, so what is the so then what is the process by the way after an after a CEO is uh, reprimanded and then fired uh, does the um, how, how does the management follow up with the justice system to proceed uh, with a case what is the like 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 how how, how does that work well in we'll go off the lady's behavior that we were oh, okay yes sure 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 kicking, kicking the uh, doors and harassing the inmates. That's not a crime. It's a bad idea. It's it's against policy and procedure. They would probably recommend her first. In my facility, she would be. They would take her out front to the to the management to the sheriff, and they would basically say, "If you do that again, you're fired." Right. Uh, <clears throat> anything that that goes above and beyond that, basically, uh, most facilities have cameras everywhere. Uh, some audio, some not, and they would put the CO out for unpaid leave. Say or paid leave, you're you're locked out of the facility. They would gather up every bit of evidence. They'd interview everyone, and uh, generally, the next thing you know, you're arrested. As in, so, as in, as in the the local sheriff's department would just get a warrant for the person's arrest, and they would just arrest the CO at their home. Or well, no. Well, here's the good part. If it's a real, if it's an actual serious, like uh, more than just hey, you know, you're gonna lose your job and you might get fines or something. What they would do also on occasion is not put you out of work. Wait till you come into the facility has been passed through the metal detectors and are locked. There's a, a thing in the jail called the Sally Court. You walk into it. It's a cage. The the door behind you shuts. Once that's locked, the other door opens in front of you. And what they will do is they'll wait till you're in that cage. They'll not open the doors. Next thing you know, on either side of you, deputies will come open one of the doors and, and they've got you. They know you're unarmed because you've gone through the metal detector and there's no place to run. So that's how, at least that, that's how it's done. The smartest way. They know you're unarmed. They know right where you're going to be and they get you. Uh, I believe that's how, I believe that's what they did with, uh, uh, there was a guy that did bring drugs and that got caught like that before my time. Oh, I don't God. know. But, uh, again, that's, that's the other thing. Inmates do corrupt guards and guards are corrupt. And I'm not, I would never sit here and say guards have never smuggled drugs in or guards have never beat up an inmate. I would not say that because it's happened. But, the wholesale every guard is on the take and every guard's uh, abusive and racist. That's, that's so much garbage. It, it makes me angry. Uh, my bread and butter as an officer, when I started, I was 5'11", 173 pounds, kind of a string bean. Never been in a fight. Um, my training officer taught me early. You talk to them like they're people. You talk to them respectfully. You will earn their respect and and that is the easiest way to do it. Don't start any trouble, but never back away from trouble. And throughout my career, I built up a level of respect with the inmates. And uh, I didn't have a lot of problems. You know, I didn't get assaulted a whole bunch. And the reason was I would, I would be firm, fair, and consistent with them. And as silly as it sounds, I built up a level of respect with them. And that's never shown. TV, you know 
Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. They, 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 they understood what, what your rules were and they saw that you were, you were consistently fair. Yeah. They, exactly. yeah, they're people. Yeah. They, yeah, they can tell it, it's similar in, in a, in a philosophical sense to a teacher in a high school to a high school students can, can tell which teachers are going to put up with crap and which teachers won't. So it's similar in that, in that sense, they can tell, even though they're, even though they're inmates, they, they're still people, they can tell which, which exactly. Guards which guards are going are gonna to tolerate things and which guards are going to be fair. And they probably liked you because you were a fair person. So that seems like something that the inmates would want. They would want a fair guard. So, yeah. As, and that's, that leads into another, uh, another thing that I hear all the time that really bothers me, especially from the liberal side of the, of the aisle. And they talk about inmates with no conception of what, an inmate is capable of and while they are they are all people and i i understand a person is a person but there are some inmates that have given up their humanity and to treat them as an everyday person would be a, a grave mistake and um what do you i've run into those guys okay. you know so uh, i'm i'm slight i'm slightly confused what do you mean by they've given up their humanity give me i need a little bit more of an example where, where you're sure. going here sure uh i'll preface it by saying 85 90 percent of inmates that i dealt with even bad guys like killers were number one usually addicted to something at the time of their crime. Uh, number two, if not addicted, they were mentally ill. And number three, most of them just made some mistakes. Uh, but that last 10% were not, it's hard to explain, but they, they acted like animals. I yeah. mean, I mean, like you put them in a cell with another person. I mean, we had, we had a guy six, six, one, uh, pretty, pretty aggressive. And we could not house him with anyone else because he would rape them. That's it. That person has given up some of his humanity and to, I mean, you just have to treat them. You have to treat them with um, caution that you don't have to treat everybody with. You know, you don't have to. The average inmate is not out raping everybody. You know, the average inmate doesn't do that. Uh, but those guys are out there and they're dangerous. And it I seems what my point was. <laughs> yeah, I know you were saying that those are the people you. I, I think. If I'm if I'm if I'm interpreting what what you're saying properly, if I if I if I'm if I'm understanding your philosophy, the, the point that you're making is that you also saw some sad people who maybe were just kind of doing doing stupid stuff in society, just were just just making mistakes, never really people who never really get their lives together, and then just kind of live in the cycle, the revolving door that they talk about in society to do too, the revolving door of, you know, prison, out of prison, in prison, just people who just sort of function within the prison community, and they don't really care about improving their lives, and they just want to, just seems like they just want to live in prison for, for their life, or is that kind of what you're saying, that group of people, or? Yeah, the, 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 the first group, and we call, they, in training, their uh, you know, it's stressed that most of the people you deal with, uh, you know, they made mistakes. Like you said, maybe, maybe the drugs got in the way, maybe the mental illness, maybe whatever. There's, there's a million reasons someone goes to jail. The last 10% are human predators and totally different from the people that the other 90% that you deal with on a daily basis. And the scary thing is, you can't tell who's who by looking at them. And um, it's rough because, I, and, don't, and you, you treat everybody the same. It's firm, fair, and consistent, like I said before. If this guy gets two sheets and a blanket, then 
the other guy gets two sheets and a blanket. So it's not like you treat them differently per se, but you you're aware of the violence inherent in their nature and you have to be on triple red alert around them. And um, when I hear a liberal say everybody can be reformed, it makes me want to puke because no, they can't. I have literally right, right. and perhaps some and and as as we say um and I, I I say this with great courage I've never had to use this phrase before uh but I, this tonight's episode fits it as we say there's there's a special place in hell for certain people and some people some people never change Absolutely I mean, and that, I think okay that's your point there's a special place in hell for a certain for a certain group of inmates that simply will never change, will never be, uh, will never Rehabilit- be rehabilitated. That was the word. Will never be rehabilitated and will live their functioning adult life in, in and out of prison. Yes. Yes. And hopefully in. Uh, trying to think. Jail stuff. Um, well, I, I will tell you that the, the inmates that I dealt with were, for the most part, not horrible people. Um, I met, I met several people, sorry, no problem. met several, uh, inmates that I would absolutely be okay with having a barbecue with personable, intelligent, (laughs) well-read. Okay. So this is, this is, this is, this is, uh, quite, you know, you you know, the way you walk through your story is great. One one sentence, I have to say, there's a special place for hell for certain people, but then the other inmates you'd have a barbecue with. Oh, sure. Well, because 90% of the the inmates you deal with, they're not terrible people. They make bad choices. and And that's how, that's how they're treated in jail. The average, well, I'll put it this way. The average inmate not trying to assault me. You, Brian, you know, I, I see what you're saying. not trying yeah. to do that. Uh, he might yell. He might get mad. He might, uh, you know, swear at me or something. Where the other 10% are at the microwave heating up a bowl of feces to throw on me. So it's, a, it's an odd dichotomy where you have to be prepared for the 10% that can come out at any point while dealing with the 90% that are, you know, just, just regular people walking around trying to get through life. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think, I think your frustration that you're illustrating is that you saw, you saw a lot of people in, in your facility who simply just made mistakes who were maybe at some level, they, they maybe they, okay. You're saying there was just a lot of people who were in, in their heart were truly good people, but just made made bad choices, made bad life choices, and then there was the other group, the the people that can't be saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, must be very frustrating. Yeah. Well, when when it's portrayed in in the media that it's almost portrayed as the guards' fault that they're not rehabilitated, mm-hmm. and frankly, we spent enormous amounts of time sh- shuffling people back and forth from mental health appointments. Uh, Dentist appointments, doctor's appointments, GED classes, uh, the library. We spent massive amounts of times giving these people Great. opportunities to improve themselves. Well, I, I, support, I, I support that. I am, I am a overly strict person. Um, I, I do not on my, in my teaching, in my teaching job or on my podcast, I don't, I do not give out my political views, but I am someone who I will tell you, I'm, I'm overly strict about life and being successful. And I, I am uh, strict as it relates to, to, you know, criminal justice and things like that. But I completely support uh, any attempt if an inmate wants to, you know, get a GED, better their life, have health care. you know, they, great. And by the way, how, so, so how does that work? Um, so the inmates at the facility where you work, did they, are, are they required by law to be seen by a doctor once a year? How, how does that work? Oh, well, the, yeah, there's, there's a minimum standard set in New York state and they have to see healthcare a certain number of times. Uh, frankly, the care they get in jail is so much more than they get on the street. One of the things that we saw, I saw later in my career was meth. And inmates would come in missing teeth and rot and cavities, never having been to the dentist in the past five years. And then we would, we would take the, take them to the dentist and, and we'd be financially responsible for it. 
Uh, I mean, I've had hospital duty from everything from, uh, oh, geez, I'm trying to think of the, the, the wide range of things, uh, cancer treatments to dialysis uh, to heart surgeries. Uh, I mean, it runs a gamut. If they're, if it's not like, you know, going to your regular doctor, but if there's something wrong, the, the county takes care of you and, and you, you see a nurse every day. The, a nurse comes down to the floor and hands out medications. There's, you have the ability to uh, write, uh, write notes to the nurse every day. You're they're They're looked after. It, it's, I, I don't know. Obviously they don't have the freedom and the access that we do on the outside, but I never saw an inmate medically mistreated. Well, great. No one was left in pain. No one was left to uh, suffer. I mean, some of them didn't like it that they didn't get the same treatment as the outside, you know, instead of getting a, a prescription painkiller, you might get ibuprofen and Tylenol. But right. there, you know, things had to be done differently inside because obviously we give somebody Vicodin, they're being an addict, they're they're not gonna take it. They're gonna well, they're gonna take it, but in a different way. Right. Um, right. No, we did everything. I mean, we've had I actually one of the scariest, I'll tell you the story. One of the scariest days in jail for me, I was working the night shift and we had a female, I was down in the female pod. 45 inmates and me and they're they're in this big dormitory style thing each in their own cell and my pass-ons was uh we'll call her sarah that's not her name obviously but the pass-ons from the officer was yeah sarah's been uh she's been going into labor for the past couple of hours oh boy boy. and uh the nurse says she's not ready to go to the hospital but keep an eye on her and I called my sergeant up later and I was like, so what does keep an eye on her mean? Yeah. And the sergeant, um, he had, his wife had had a couple of kids and he'd been through this before. He's like, all right, this is what it is. You go down and check on her every five or 10 minutes. If she, you know, there's an alarm system. So if she hits the button, I'm summoned anyway. And he said, if she starts having a lot of contractions and feels the need to go to the bathroom, tell her not to, because the baby can come out. And I said, what the heck are you talking about? They did not cover this and see, I'm not catching any babies here. Like you're crazy. And uh, sure enough, she started going into labor, like actual labor. They came down, got her, took her to the hospital and she had a baby, but I have literally never been that scared before or since in the jail because it was me and her and this baby that was coming. And I, I was sweating and you know, I, I wasn't treating her like an inmate. I was right there going, hey, no, breathe. It'll be okay. Trying to reassure her. And I was just, you know, like, what, what have I walked into today? You know? Wow. Yeah, that, that's not, yeah, that sounds, that story that you just, that sounds scarier than a lot of things. Yeah. That, oh, I'll, that, 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 I'll take a fight over that any day. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 that life, that, that issue of, of, of protecting human life. That's really scary. Mm-hmm. I'm trying that's... to think of, uh, Oh, people want to know, Oh, weapons in jail. People always want to know about that. Uh, even in a County jail, there are weapons, uh, shanks. That was the big one. They take a toothbrush and sharpen it. Another good one that they, they used to like was they put batteries into a sock and then smack you with the sock full of batteries or soap. Uh, the boiling liquids was another one that, that happened on occasion. And uh, one of my favorite ones that changed the policy and procedure at the jail, which I find ingenious, even though it's kind of evil, we had a guy that was getting ready to fight and they were locked in two cells on the same block. And in the morning, the gates open and they were going to fight. And he wanted a, uh, a leg up on the other fella. So he took a tumbler full of water and put pepper into it. And just before he rushed out to start beating on this guy, took a big glug of the, of the pepper water. And as soon as the guy faced up, squared up on him, he spit that pepper water in his eyes and blinded him and then just beat the crap out of him. 
And after that, we took pepper off the menu because, you know, once somebody figured out how to use something as a weapon, the jail grapevine would, would you know, it would just propagate and it wouldn't be something that we could, we could suppress. He made his own pepper spray. I got I to gotta give him credit for that. Pretty, pretty cool. Pretty clever. Yeah. That, that's I mean, also it's, strange, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it worked. He won the fight because of that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, there's violence. Uh, I was assaulted several times. Uh, been exposed to inmates' blood, feces, semen, urine. Uh, I've had things thrown on me. People tried tried to deck me. Uh, been sent to the hospital a couple of times. So when yeah, when they when they sure sure when a CEO in your case or when any CEO is is injured at, at work like that so how does it work I mean they they take them obviously yeah, to the hospital my, my phone cut out. hello oh sorry my phone cut out for a second oh no oh no problem so I I I was just saying so you know how does that really work when it when when you were injured um, on duty like that. Then you then you go to the hospital and then are you are are you sent home or or are you expected to go right back to work immediately? Well, uh, I'll give you two examples. Uh, there was a we have a dorm system that's a, a two story building, so there's a, a level of dorms, a bottom level and a top level, a mezzanine we called it, and the mezzanine just has a railing and it's a twenty foot drop, and I was on a in a pod as a second officer and uh, two guys that were probably, I don't know, they probably outweighed me each by 30 or 40 pounds. One started assaulting the other. And uh, one of the guys was blind in one eye. So he didn't, and I knew this from having contact with him. He didn't see it coming. And the guy started, the aggressor started pounding him. I ran up, got in between them and the, uh, the aggressor turned on me and started trying to throw me off the top layer, the top level. And it was me or him, and it wasn't going to be me, I tell you that. So I put him down and got him cuffed. And by the time the boys arrived to, to take him out, I was, I was covered in blood. And I was bloody. And he was bloody. So I, I basically had open cuts on my body that had his blood on them. So I went up to the nurse. They, they did their, their – their, um, protocols, clean me up, sanitize me as best as I can. I went to my locker, changed my uniform, went back to work, waited six months uh, and took AIDS tests until uh, whatever, the, I think it's six months. So I took AIDS tests every once in a while for six months to make sure that I wasn't infected. Uh, that was a long shift because as you know, a lot of the inmates that we deal with have uh, communicable diseases. AIDS, hepatitis, God knows, uh, tuberculosis. So I spent the rest of the day just, just wondering, do I have AIDS now? And I had to work my shift. And thank God, you know, thank my stars that I didn't. I didn't contract anything and I got lucky. Uh, so that was, you know, that's the general case. When you get hurt, that's what happens. I had another case at court where some, an inmate was trying to kill the prosecutor in court. And I got into the wrestling match with him trying to get him down. And I caught an elbow to the, to the face and ended up on the bottom of the, of a dog pile and wrenched my back out. And I was, they sent me to the hospital and they did it, you know, they did x-rays and all that stuff. And I was out of work for several weeks uh, healing up from that, in which case they took care of my medical expenses and it was paid time off. So bad enough. They send you to the hospital. Most times you got a bruise or a cut or blood. You just deal with it. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's really, really, really interesting. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> what was uh, before before I uh, transition to the the other the other topic that is equally fascinating. Um, which is your your blindness and your journey with with blindness and all of that? What was the most um, uh, interesting or the most thought provoking thing that a inmate ever said to you? It can be good or bad, but the Ooh. most thought, yeah. Well, I got this. I'll warn the listeners: it's not swear words, but it's it's graphic content, and this is this is this is one of the 
weirdest and also the most amusing things that have ever said to me in the jail. Okay. So um, we're warned. Go, go ahead. All right. So we had, again, we had a drug addict who also happened to have schizophrenia and he was, he was a little fella. He was maybe five, five, two, but he was assaultive and even a five foot two fella who's assaultive with the right motivation or weapon could really, really hurt you. So he was, uh, he, he got, he got real upset one day about something imaginary. Uh, I believe he said Chuck Norris was coming to break him out of jail and he wanted to be up front to get rescued, whatever. So, you know, he, he started posturing and being angry and I locked him in a cell for his own safety and my safety. So he's, he proceeded to flood his cell and throw stuff and, and start screaming. And I went into him and I said, uh, Terry, which obviously not his real name, said, Terry, knock it off. And he looked at me and said, Smith, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to burn it down. I'm going to murder your whole family. I'm going to oh, rape your cat. God. And I, I looked at him and I was like, did you just threaten to rape my cat? And he's like, I, and he swore at me. He said, yes, I'm coming. I'm going to rape your cat too. And I just looked at him and I laughed. I was like, I'm not even mad at you anymore, man. And I just walked out laughing. Like, so really, you know, you know what that illustrates? That illustrates two important things about life. That's why, in my opinion, I think our country should really start caring a lot more about mental health issues. And, oh, 100%. I, and, and I think that the way that you handled that shows, shows me or shows a listener that you were a CEO who had compassion and kindness for every person who you dealt with because you understood even in that scary environment that that person is simply, simply someone who is, who is sick, who is, who is struggling with their own right. mind and, and their own struggle. I mean, that's really, that's, that's, Ken, that's really beautiful that you said that you said that it shows you're a really strong person to have said that to him. I, I'm impressed by that, by that. That's a perfect way to handle that situation as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give you another great example of that. We had a brand new inmate and a lot of the inmates that we dealt with, we've dealt with over and over again, you know, uh, they would come back, they'd go to prison, they'd come back. We had a brand new guy uh, named Mike. And we got obviously, a obviously not his real name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so he was down in the cells and he was punching the wall hard enough to injure himself. And one of the things is, you know, we can't let you break your own arm and we have a restraint chair. So we go in, we take the inmate, we put them in the restraint chair until they can calm down. Standard policy. You're not going to let the inmate tear the cell up, break stuff and hurt himself. So myself uh, and I, I got fatter during the, during the, uh, my years there. Uh, that's a, uh, that is one of the stereotypes about COs where we're all fat. It happens. You sit around for, you sit around at a desk, you get up, you do, you do tours, you walk around, then you sit around waiting for the next bad thing to happen. So, um, I had put on weight and I weighed about 230 pounds and, uh, there was four other guys there and we were going to go in and we we're going to take this guy and he's at the bars and he's pounding, he's it looked like he was trying to break his own, his own hand. And we pop the gate and we go in. And as soon as that door opens, he punched the CO in front of me as hard as he could right in the face. And we grabbed him, went down, wrestled with him. He fought like a tiger. And the other four guys, I was the smallest guy there by 30 pounds. The other four guys and me, it literally took us five minutes to get him cuffed. We got oh him up God. front. He was, he got calm. Uh, everything was over. I saw him. I didn't see him again for two weeks. And he looked at me. He goes, Smith, I'm real sorry if I hit you or anything. I just want to apologize. I was like, okay, I'm not used to that. Someone that tried to kill me generally doesn't stop. And he's like, I was off my medication. I thought I was on a spaceship. I thought you guys were aliens. You were coming to kill me. I see. Hey, okay. And I went, okay, man. Apology accepted. I appreciate that. <laughs> again a, per, a, per, a perfect response yeah that, that okay but that, that that shows that shows some good in the world though the fact that that person took the time to apologize and realized 
that they had some sort of the the impression the impression that I get from watching sixty days in is that a lot of these inmates have have mental illness it's a very noticeable that a lot of them are suffering from mental illnesses that are probably not their fault so that no no that that gentleman and and he when he was on his meds, I would trust him in my house. Like he wasn't a criminal per se when yeah. he was, when he was medicated, he was a stand-up citizen. Unfortunately, he got out several years uh, and several years later uh, killed himself. Oh, went off, went off his meds and, and, See, killed that's, himself. and that's why our country should care about mental health, which is a whole nother, it's a whole nother conversation, but that's horrible. Okay. See, then, yeah. then you, then you have to feel, so obviously you have to accept his apology because that shows that he was simply just a, just a troubled person who just had, had a serious mental illness. That's, oh, sure. that's horrible. That's just awful. I, I've yeah. had inmates that didn't have mental illnesses take a poke at me one day and, and say, Hey, what's up the next day? And, you don't take it personally because it's not personal to you. It's personal to them. I don't think about them after I go home. This isn't personal to me. I don't care what you did to me today. I mean, my guard will be up if I know you're assaulted, but whatever. You call me a name, who cares? You know, uh, you're threatening to kill me. I'm in the phone, but come and find me. And uh, trying to think of one. Oh, the other thing that, you, you know, you always see on TV that's, that's complete and utter crap. They show guards in the jail with guns. And I'll tell you that never happens. Never have a firearm in the jail. As a matter of fact, uh, we weren't issued even any weapons. We had a radio to call for backup and two fists. And that's it. We didn't have a baton. We didn't have pepper spray. We didn't have a taser. It was 50 guys and you and your wits. And that's all you had. So anytime you see. Why, a, a, now, why is. Okay. Now, why is that? Why do you not? Why, why were you not issued? Uh, not not saying you should or shouldn't be, just just to ask the question: Why are you not issued pepper spray or any type of small weapon uh, to deal well, with the fifty on one? In my facility, uh, that, you know that's not. It wasn't for me to question why. Right. But uh, the the mindset behind it was: If you have a weapon, it can be taken away from you. So uh, you rely on your training and your hand to hand combat um, training. And they can't take that from you. So, and personally, I'd rather get hit with a fist than a baton. And I understand that. But uh, there's some days when you're looking at a guy who, I probably had a dozen situations over the years where I'm staring, looking at a fellow that is fully capable of, of kicking the hell out of me. I mean, I remember one guy was an army ranger, retired army ranger, got kicked out for whatever reason. I'm not beating up an army ranger in hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's not happening. The guy's 10 years younger than me. He, he's, he's fit. He, he's just out of the military. I'm going to get my butt whooped. What I was good at was I'm willing to take that butt whooping, and you're going to have to do it. Uh, but I'd rather take that butt whooping from fist than a baton. You know what I mean? And the guns is obvious. You don't ever want anybody to have a gun, so you don't have a gun in the facility. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. They don't want the inmates to be able to have an, have an uprising where only one, then one inmate has a weapon. That's not going to work. So yeah, that makes perfect right. sense. Right. And, and I mean, I, I did break up fights with weapons. Uh, I had one inmate that was robbing another with a, with a shank that I, I, I broke the fight up and retrieved the shank and we had to go to court and trial and all that stuff. So, uh, they could, they could find all the weapons they wanted. We didn't need to bring them any, any into the facility. Uh, on a further note, you were just talking about mental health. And one of the saddest things that I witnessed in the jail was suicides. Ooh. And as, as a corrections officer early on, uh, I, I probably intervened in seven or eight suicide attempts and stopped them before they, they were successful. I, I don't know. I, I cut down at least three guys that were hanging in blue. And when I, when I cut them down, they started breathing and uh, saved them that way. I, I foiled several, uh, several uh, attempts. I, I, in one case I had an inmate 
who had given all his stuff away and was planning on killing himself that night. And other inmates told me about his plan. I went in and found the evidence and, you know, saved his life that way by, by getting his mental health. Uh, I stumbled upon an inmate who had taken all his medications for, he had cheeked all his medications and he uh, was overdosing. And I was able to recognize the, the symptoms and get him to the hospital to have his stomach pumped and save him. Uh, one of the odd things was I considered, I used to consider them the weakest people and, and just beyond contempt. And I just, I couldn't understand being that selfish, but and here's a good transition point towards the end of my career. I started going blind and with that blindness came some pretty crippling depression. And at one point my wife looked at me and she said, do I, should I be worried about you? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? And I was shocked because I always consider people that committed suicide or tried or thought about it to be complete wimps. And it shocked me to my very core. And I thought about it and, I hadn't made any plans, but I was in that mindset and, uh, thankfully, you know, got counseling, went through a lot of stuff and I've come out the other side and I'm no longer, you know, I'm no longer suicidal or anything, but I, I look back on those inmates that I had such contempt for and I realized how hard they had it in there and I feel bad for how I felt but I think I've got more insight into that than, than I ever did before. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's really fascinating. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that's, so, that's a little heavy, but I mean, you know, there's so much, there's so much mental health in the, so many issues in the jail. And yeah, yeah, no, we need to, we need to, and the reason why you're here is for you to be able to educate my audience about this, because these are the serious issues and the really interesting stuff that not only do I want to talk about on my podcast, but I think that, that we, that we as a society need to have these conversations, because I think I, it seems to be a really serious problem, and, and it clearly, it clearly is, it clearly is. So then, um, yeah, uh, let's, let's see. Uh, let's see here. You know what? Um, we are starting. So I'm starting to run out of time. I think I have about five. I think I have about five minutes, five to 10 minutes left. Um, okay. I'm definitely going to have you on my show. We, okay. Indeed. We have five minutes left. Yeah. Um, so when you, when you come back on Aaron's opinion, you're welcome to come back anytime you want. I'm available every day, basically. So, you can, you know, off the air, we can figure that out. When you do come back for part two, which I'm looking forward to recording part two with you, I want you to focus and I, I want you to talk about the the other part of the conversation that we had um, when we were talking, I've lost track of the days now, whenever it was, was that you, you've been having a lot of frustrations more recently in your life, more more as in now, with what's been going on with the blindness community. So when you do come back, I would like you to talk about your journey uh, through uh, vision loss, um, the various eye problems that you've had over your life because you've had a lot of them and they're interesting. And then this whole decision to get the LASIK eye surgery and that whole thing and the whole medical thing with your vision, how you became blind, um, your frustrations with the uh, situation for blind people today because you really expressed and articulated that really well with me a couple weeks ago. And then really what you want to see um, for for blind people you know where 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 you really want things to go moving moving forward um but what are some what are some final what are some final statements that you would like to make to our, for our audience uh, about everything you've said in part one tonight well i want i just want the audience members who might be anti-law enforcement or or pro inmate or whatever to realize that both sides are people and both sides make mistakes. But on average, the guards are just trying to make their way through, through and not get murdered during the day. And the inmates are doing the same thing. They just have different perspectives. And, you know, there's very few absolutely evil people out there. And, you know, in general, the COs aren't evil and neither are the inmates. And, um, 
You know, there's, there's bad apples out there and there's, but the majority of us were good apples. Um, I definitely wanted to get into talking more about the blindness and dealing with that in the jail. Than because I that was, yeah, because that was really interesting. This whole LASIK eye surgery thing and the, the medical issues about that. And then a lot of your frustrations that you've been having right now in your life, dealing with the blindness, having yeah. nothing to do with the, the past CO thing, which is, is fascinating, yeah. but having nothing to do with that. What's equally important is for you to connect with our blind. Most of our listeners are blind. So they would be interested yeah. to hear, to hear and learn from you what your frustrations are. Um, but do you mind if I uh, if I share a final sure. jail story that is related? Oh, to go, f- oh, go for it. One final so, one. Go for it. Yep. So I was uh, I was blind in one eye, or legally blind in one eye, and I could see at twenty seventy, which is the 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 cutoff for being able to drive in my state. So I was just barely getting by. I was squinting at everybody. Uh, I was trying to hide the fact that I was blind because inmates will take advantage of that. If they knew I had a blind spot, you know, that's where they're going to come up and try to hit me and all that kind of stuff. So I thought I was doing pretty good. And I figured this out. I can't tell which inmate is what anymore, but I can see that they're in a uniform. I know inmate from CO. And I started to learn the inmates voices and how they walked. And uh, I would, you know, Oh, that's, uh, that's Todd down there. I can see him walking. He's a tall guy, whatever. The other thing I started doing was instead of saying inmate Smith, inmate Jones, I'd say, Hey chief, can you go get me that mop? Hey pal, can you go get, you know, using general terms uh, to hide the fact that I can't tell who I'm talking to work for work for months. And towards the end of my, uh, my, my career, I walked into a cell block that I hadn't worked in a while and I needed an inmate and in, in say cell uh, C6. I needed him to get out and mop the floor because it was his turn. So I walked up to him and go, "Hey, Chief, can you uh, can you get up and mop, please?" And you know, I was always polite. And he got up and as he approached me, I went, "Oh crap!" I, I not not knowing at the time, but I had just called an actual Native American chief, and I went, "Listen, man, I'm sorry." I call everybody chief. I didn't know I was talking to a native. I'm not looking for problems. I, if I offended you, I'm sorry. And the guy got up and laughed. He's like, no, I'm, I'm okay. And he actually told me, he's like, actually, in my tribe, I hold the title of chief. So you calling me chief and addressing me as chief is actually appropriate. That's um, cool. That, that is we- that's weird. That's really awkward. And that's, that's really, that's, that's, we- that's a cool story. That's interesting. That's a really well, I interesting was, mm-hmm. I was worried because one of the surefire ways to get to, to start a fight with an inmate is to say racial stuff. You know, uh, inmates do not mess around with racial slurs. And if you call an inmate a racial slur, you better have your hands up. And I walked into that cell into his living space and made what could have been interpreted as a racial joke. And I was like, oh, dang it. I don't want, I'm not that guy. I don't want to be that guy. And he popped up and just laughed and said, oh, it's not a problem. I'll call you chief. You call me chief. I was like, all right, I'm not. <laughs> okay. That's, no, that's the, okay. That's material. Then he'll call you chief. That's funny. Okay. That's, yeah, that's, 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 that's a good sense of humor. Then that person probably had a good sense of humor. Well, well I, the- I, I told him straight up. I'm not saying, I'm not calling you chief. I'm not comfortable doing that boss. And, uh, We'll we'll go from here, but so going blind did affect me. (laughs) So that's really, that's really, 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 really fascinating. I am really looking forward to part two, by the way, if you listener have any questions, uh, why don't you comment below on today's episode? Because I would be happy to, uh, ask your questions to Ken when he comes back. I really want some audience participation. It was a pleasure having you on. Uh, that was really exciting, uh, really educational, and really disturbing. And I'm really <laughs> glad. And I'm really glad. And I'm really glad you came on to Aaron's Opinion, the podcast. <clears throat> the podcast, as I say, for blind people, where tonight we definitely talked about issues in the blindness community and some other really interesting things. By the way, if you really like today's episode and you want to be a guest on Aaron's Opinion, don't forget the email address is aaronsopinion6 at gmail.com.
gmail.com. Please comment below. Let me know what you want me to ask Ken in part two, uh, or else you're going to have to sit at home and listen to me asking Ken what I want to ask Ken in part two. So you don't want that. Don't forget to comment below your questions. And Ken, thank you so much. We'll talk offline. I do have, I do have to get, get going here. As I like to say, um, God bless you, by the way, for all your great work that you've done for New York and our country. And have a very good day. Every, and everybody else, and you too, of course, stay safe from New York or wherever we are. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Have a good day today. We'll be back soon. Have a great day tomorrow. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at penfed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Dunkin's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer.